Stay Alive, I'm Graham Lynch and this is our final edition for 2020. Today we'll be talking about the new critical infrastructure bill, spectrum developments at the ACMA, a Melbourne region for AWS, Airtrunk's big Asia launch, thoughts from Shadow Communications Minister Michelle Rowland, and developments at Telstra Belong, which has a new CEO. But first, NBN Co. Now, this week there were two big news items about NBN. We broke the first one. There's an impending shortage of semiconductors used in the network termination devices required for NBN Co.'s HFC network, which constitutes about 20% of the footprint. This shortage could impact around 50,000 orders or so across the first half of next year and lead to delays in installations of maybe as much as 40 days or so by mid-year. NBNCO say they are proactively managing the issue with RSPs and at this stage do not see any shortages in the other technologies which they deploy in their network. The second big news item was a set-piece announcement midweek of a sweeping digital transformation at the operator. NBN is now 10 years old and the bulk of its rapid growth is behind it. So it wants to take the next three years to embark on a $200 million project to overhaul and update its systems. It's an ambitious project with some fascinating reference points. And to tell us all about it, I would like to welcome the CIO of NBNCO, Debbie Taylor, to the show. Welcome, Debbie. Can you describe the plan to us? Thanks, Graham. And I'm really happy to be speaking with you today because this is a, an area that I'm very passionate about and we're calling the program internally our systems digital roadmap or the SDR we love our three-letter acronyms and I'm really passionate about it because this is the largest IT transformation that we've undertaken and it's all about simplifying and modernizing our architecture and this is a key enabler for us at MBN for our broader digital transformation and it will enable things like um, uh, better customer service experiences between us and the retailers. It will um, enable us to deliver new digital capabilities, um, be more cost-effective in how we deliver the new capabilities and how we run our IT environment. And um, it's got three pillars associated with it. The first pillar is about how we can uh, reimagining how we can transform the um, how the telco industry can transform the customer experience um, in collaboration obviously in collaboration with the retailers by uh, end-to-end digitization of the customer service delivery experience um, something we're calling virtually vertically integrating our system so they act very seamlessly as one so that's the first pillar the second pillar is about streamlining our systems architecture by reducing the number of applications that we have and modernizing and simplifying our IT landscape of the future. This will lead us to a more lean um, operations. Um, the cost of change, not just for us, will be more beneficial, but also for the industry as a whole. And um, will it will enable us to uh, deliver new and more capability quicker. And um, the third pull is really about how we attract and retain the best people, and we know that the war on talent isn't new. Um, you know, it's been around for quite a while, but the difference now is that through COVID, many organizations have um, realized, recognized that 
they probably need to lift their digital capabilities. So now they're dipping into the same pool. So there's more demand on the same pool, which means it's harder to get those people. And uh, we believe that because we've been planning this transformation for quite a long time, well before we went into COVID, it is very comprehensive, which means that for technologists, it's working with all the new technologies, techniques, tools, methodologies, coupled with the fact that our purpose is so strong of lifting the digital capability of Australia, we, we really do feel like we have a competitive edge to not only attract but also retain the best people. So it's really important to note with this, this that this isn't the start of our digital journey. Um, we, we have absolutely been, under, um, been working with machine learning, artificial intelligence, moving software to the cloud, um, simplifying our interfacing between us and our retailers. So this is really about that very comprehensive end-to-end blueprint so we can accelerate that journey. Okay. Um, now, the, the, the sort of obvious question from an RSP's point of view is what does it mean for me? Like how will dealing with MBN feel and look different as this is implemented? Yeah, so um, the the way that it will look differently is that the retailers will have much richer um, and more depth of the data and the information that they need in a much more simple way so that they could then leverage that to um, create better customer experiences to, for example, um, be able to solve customer problems quicker and easier. It's as if our systems are connected with their systems, and we do need to go into consultation and um, work with them to work out how we're going to co-design this together. Um, but for them, it will be as if the MBN systems are part of their broader ecosystem of systems. And um, so things like uh, them being able to, uh, retail being able to provide an app for a customer to to enable them to do simple transactions like change a speed tier. That, that's the type of thing that we want to do. And ultimately, we want to be able to um, provide the foundation and create the ability to do what Uber did for the taxi industry, for the, do something similar for the telco industry, where it put the power in the hand, it, the Uber has put the power in the hands of the rider, and we want to be able to put the power in the hands of the, of the consumer through the retailers. This is quite a conceptual leap, you know, in, in how telcos approach these these issues. What what led you to this point? Are there any international examples that that you've perhaps been benchmarking from? Yeah, so we, we did. Um, I'm glad you asked that question because we we actually spent quite a lot of time planning this, and we did look globally um, what was happening, and we got some learnings from some of our global counterparts. But actually, Graham the the one that resonated with us the most was Services New South Wales and their transformation. And the reason why that was the one that we um, gravitated towards is because Services New South Wales took a very much outside-in approach. They started with the customer in mind, and then they worked their way in, and that's exactly what we want to do. Um, that's, you know We want to focus on that customer service experience and then um, deliver the capability needed to to enable that, and uh, the way that Services New South Wales went about it was was uh, actually quite considered and and clever. And so we've been speaking to to some people who were the architects of that, which has been really enlightening in helping us to design what we're doing and helping us with the execution as well. Okay, have you been working with any outside partners on this? Um, 
We, to develop the original plan, we did work with some experts, but we're actually delivering this as, um, as uh, we're leading the delivery of this, so we're not having someone else um, do this, but we're certainly leveraging skill sets from our core partners that we have in the IT space. Okay, now you just mentioned that you, you use the phrase co-design with the RSPs. Yeah. Can you talk me through what has to happen now to make that happen in terms of process and, and timing? Yeah, so we, we've um, we've um, floated the idea with some of the retailers and it's very, getting very positive feedback. We need to go into a consultation period early in the new year, which we will do to understand um, what, uh, what the retailers need to create the um, better experiences, better digital experiences, and um, then we'll we'll uh, and I, I'd say the consultation period will take between three and six months. So you know um, it'll be driven by how much feedback we get, and um, then we'll we'll look at what's the most common themes, and we'll start to work with the retailers on those common themes to um, to enable uh, more richer information and. Uh, you know, uh, leveraging the interfacing that we're putting in place to uplift it for their needs so that they can deliver those experiences onto the customer. Okay, and, and in your experience with working with RSPs to date, um, are they broadly consistent in terms of the way they operate with their IT systems or, or do they all have wildly disparate and differing approaches? Um, they're, they're actually quite um, different depending on the type of Retail, some of them are more mature, some less mature. Um, so what we're trying to do is go with the least common denominator, really. So provide data in um, simple-to-use formats, provide dashboards to retailers. So really enabling them to use the information in the way that best suits their underlying systems as opposed to what best might suit MBN. Okay. So making it really simpler and easier for the retailers. Would, would you... Um characterize this as the, the biggest overhaul of your systems in, in that decade? Yeah, I would say that's true. This is, I'd say this is the largest transformation that we've had up till now. It's really been all about building capability to enable us to go out and build the network and activate customers. So it's all been about, um, you know, it's all been about that, that uh, capability to build and scale the network. This is really about transforming the IT landscape, making it simpler, making it modern. And is it easier to do this now that the customer numbers are, are stabilizing? You know, you just talked about the rapid growth there, and, you know, incredible numbers in some of those years in terms of growth. But obviously that's leveling off a bit now. Is, is it now a little bit easier to approach this? Now you don't have to deal with all that growth and, and so it on? It is um, it's the right timing for us to do that because yeah. before that we were really trying to make sure we had the capability in place for the scale. Um, so you're right, this is the right time for us to do this. It is easier, I think, if you're distracted with um, needing to build the capability for us to make sure everyone had access to high-speed broadband, that is much more difficult. So, yeah. yeah, it's the right time. Okay, well, look, thank you very much, Debbie, for, for um, making the time available to us to share this with us. Yeah, great. All Thanks, right. Graham. Moving right along, and we're going to take a look at the week that was with the executive editor of Comms Day, Rowan Pierce. Welcome, Rowan. Hey, Graham. 
Okay, um, you had an excellent lead story in Friday's Comms Day where you caught up with the CEO, or the new CEO, actually, I might add, of the Telstra discount brand, Balon. Tell us all about it. Yeah, so I had a chat to uh, Jana Kotaiko, and it was actually, it was probably one of my favorite interviews of the year, I have to say, actually. Um, very passionate, um, very passionate about the Belong brand as well. So she replaced Ben Burge, who's actually moved over to lead Telstra's energy push. Um, but obviously, long before Belong and before Telstra, she's had a long history in, um, in the telco sector. So we, we covered a lot of ground. I think the interesting thing is obviously, like, um, the space that Belong occupies is getting quite crowded now. Like TPG has launched Felix, Optus has launched Gomo. But Yana is still um, pushing for some pretty ambitious growth targets. And I think two, two of the kind of things she told me on that front, one was um, that, you know, she thinks there's room for Belong to really kind of, uh, as she put it, stretch its kind of product set. So on the mobile, uh, mobile front, that could include like data-only products, for example. On the fixed product set, it could be uh, higher MVN speed tiers. And also she you know, said that there might be a chance of um, a roaming offering, assuming that we ever actually take to the skies again. And I, I guess the, the other interesting thing I think that she said was that um, traditionally uh, Belong's been quite concentrated in the, uh, in the metro market, but she reckons there's room to kind of expand out to some of the more regional areas of Australia, which kind of makes sense when you have access to Telstra's network infrastructure. Okay, moving on. Um, this week may have been the final week of Parliament sitting in Canberra, but it, it certainly wasn't a wind down from the point of view of regulation and legislation in the telecom space. Um, the government introduced a new critical infrastructure bill um, to the House of Reps, and uh, it would seem that this will have quite some impact on telcos. Yeah, it's you can tell it's almost Christmas because there's national security legislation before the parliament. And I guess um, the the other thing is like, uh, I mean, as as well as critical infrastructure bill, there's also the kind of uh, new surveillance bill to give additional powers to the AFP, and then also the government just um, chucked out there that it's going to rewrite the um, Telecommunications Interception and Access Act. So it's been a busy couple of weeks. Um, so yeah, the critical infrastructure bill was obviously foreshadowed earlier um, earlier this year in the um, cybersecurity strategy, and there was an exposure draft. Um, Released as well, so a lot of it, um, a lot of it kind of revolves around TSSR-style obligations that telcos are familiar with. But obviously, the, the new regime is also going to cover the cloud and data center sectors, um, and there's there's a whole range of kind of new powers as well for the Australian Signals um, Directorate to potentially intervene directly in systems under attack when the operator of a critical system is you know unwilling or unable to counter that attack. So it's kind of, um, and there's also like a, for so-called systems of national significance, there'll be extremely tough security rules as well. So the way it's designed is that um, these new obligations will be switched on on a kind of sector by sector basis. So exactly how it's going to be implemented in a particular sector is not going to be entirely clear until that kind of that additional regulation is um, is laid out for us. I, I think um, I, I think most people kind of anticipate that you know the there may be like tweaks to the TSSR regime to kind of align it with some of the new obligations in the critical infrastructure um, bill, and then that'll be the kind of form the basis for telcos. Okay, moving on. Um, AWS, uh, also known as Amazon Web Services, announced a new region in Melbourne this week. Now, I must admit, as someone, I, I don't follow this space very, very closely, so I only have the most general idea of what this all means. So please educate me, Rowan. 
Yeah, so so what AWS announced, so they're launching Melbourne region in the second half of 2022. Um, uh, it's actually kind of, that'll be about 10 years since they launched the Sydney region, um, which was all very exciting at the time. Um, obviously, since the kind of 2012 launch of the Sydney region, though, there's, you know, Microsoft as viewers launched in Australia, Google Cloud Platforms launched in Australia. And now um, you have Microsoft, which already already has like a presence in data centers in like Sydney, uh, Melbourne and Canberra. Um, which reminds me of the time when I visited the Canberra one and the security guards had to check your socks to make sure you weren't smuggling out USB drives from the data center. So Google Google has a Sydney region as well and it's going to add a um, Melbourne region next year. So that means really um, out of those kind of like three very high-profile hyperscalers, it means um, AWS will be the last to actually offer services in Melbourne. So I think the, the context for me really is that you know, it, it feels like this year there's been a lot more emphasis around issues of data sovereignty and like sovereign capability, and it feels like um, the kind of data sovereignty issue for a number of years died down a little bit. But obviously, you know, more critical systems are being moved to the cloud, and I guess you combine that with kind of some of the geopolitical tensions we've seen, and it really feels like it's reared its head again. Okay, well, that's a good reminder not to put electronic components in your Christmas stocking this year. <laughs> Thanks very much for joining us, Rowan. And, and, and also, thank you very much for your contributions to this podcast over um, our first four months of broadcast. And uh, looking forward to continuing in the new year. Cheers, Graham. And thanks for cutting out all the bloopers. <laughs> My pleasure. We're continuing look at the week that was with Simon Ducks, who's the chief editor of Comms Day. Welcome, Simon. Hi there, Graham. Um, you had a interesting piece in Friday's Comms Day uh, regarding the Shadow Communications Minister, Michelle Rowland. Now, M- Michelle, or Miss um, Rowland, as I should probably say, um, tends to be quite structured in a lot of her commentary about the telecom sector. She, she tends not to do a lot of free-form Q&A, but uh, she did this week and revealed some interesting thoughts about some of the issues of the day. That's right. She was speaking uh, essentially with the ACAN CEO, Theresa Corbyn, on a wide range of issues they covered, uh, covering uh, uh, TV policy on broadcast. And also there were some interesting things, obviously, on the telco sector. Two things uh, that sort of jumped out at us uh, for um, interest to uh, the whole telco sector, I thought, were uh, the fact that uh, we were looking at... um, Service standards should be set in uh, regulations rather than uh, the MBN wholesale broadband agreement, which is uh, an interesting uh, thought. And it it, it mirrors what's happening with customer service uh, and the focus on that uh, going forward in the new year. Uh, The big story you wrote about MBN's uh, 200 million uh, digital transformation uh, investment, and that's all going to be about customer service experience as well. And uh, so, you know, the key uh, side of uh, that sort of thing, she gave an example. She said that uh, perhaps if you're using regulation, uh, RSPs would be able to uh, capture a greater share of a rebate if their MBM uh, modem offer falls over back onto 4G or a 5G uh, connection. And she said, 
the, the thing about this is it doesn't diminish the incentive for MBNCO uh, to provide a timely fault rectification, but it does give the service continuity that the people are looking for. So uh, interesting thoughts there. Uh, the other thing uh, that she uh, talked about was going back to if we relate to COVID and the bushfires, and this was the discussions around whether or not uh, the telecommunication sector should be seen as an essential service. So uh, she is absolutely backing um, thoughts of the uh, Comms Alliance. And in fact, uh, uh, Minister Fletcher also was uh, looking uh, to push along this line as well. But um, uh, Minister Rowland essentially was trying to say that the state governments and the federal governments really have to get some formal recognition going here so it can flow through all levels of government and remove any ambiguity. OK, um, moving on. Um, Airtrunk, uh, they're a, a data centre company we've spoken about before on this podcast. And I think at the time we remarked that they weren't very well known generally, and that's still the case. But they, they've, they've done a pretty, pretty big thing this week um, in Asia. Tell us more. Yes, so we recently covered their uh, Japan uh, data center. Uh, they're a hyperscale-focused company, so you know only the biggest cloud providers are going to be uh, their typical customers. And they've just announced that they've opened the doors on a new uh, data center or hyperscale data center in Singapore and one in Hong Kong. And uh, as per usual, in the air trunk style, these things are pretty big. Uh, you're looking at uh, more than 80 megawatts combined. Um, so, for example, in Loyang, Singapore, um, they're looking at about 60 megawatts uh, built on 1.5 acres, uh, very close to the Changi North Cable Landing Station to uh, provide any international connectivity. And uh, essentially, uh, with that one, they're going to be opening the first 30 megawatt uh, phase uh, immediately, and then uh, their second phase is under construction. And on the um, uh, Hong Kong one, uh, you're looking at 20 megawatts, where they managed to convert an eight-story building into a world-class hyperscale data center, as they call it, near Shenwan in Hong Kong, uh, in what they said was record time. And uh, when they also did this announcement, they gave an update on the Sydney site, uh, which uh, they had acquired last year, Sydney West, uh, or they call it Sid One, and um, they've now commenced work uh, to build a 40 megawatt building to support customer demand uh, adjacent to this. Uh, so you're going to see that kicking on, and uh, I think the CEO Robin Kuda said that uh, essentially that means in the last three years they've uh, brought on 130 megawatts uh, on the Sydney One campus. Oh, that's uh, pretty big stuff. It's, it's interesting regarding Hong Kong, too, because there's a, obviously a perception in Australia right now that Hong Kong's not a great place to do business, particularly for an Australian company. But it's worth keeping in mind that it, it still has a discreet um, telecommunications regulatory regime, which is separate to the PRC. And also, my understanding is that the Hong Kong economy is going absolutely gangbusters at the moment. So, so not necessarily the worst place to open a data center. Anyway, moving right along, um, the Australian Communications and Media Authority has been incredibly busy this year, in my view, um, with all sorts of work on spectrum allocations. Um, there's all sorts of bans at various stages of development in terms of uh, being allocated or reallocated, as the case may be. And uh, ACMA turned their attention this week to the 2.3 gigahertz band. Uh, what do they have to say? 
So this band is obviously a really key one for the uh, 5G providers. Uh, it's actually uh, quite useful for uh, 4G as well. So you can imagine the mobile operators are, are, are very keen uh, to see this one uh, freed up uh, potentially for their use. Uh, there's been a uh, technical liaison group working on uh, looking at uh, options for 2.3 gigahertz. And if you recall, we've done a couple of stories around Optus trialling uh, 2.3 gig uh, uh, carrier aggregation uh, in a couple of cities as well. So uh, the thing that uh, ACMA has actually said is that um, since um, the f technical framework for this spectrum was last updated, uh, new antennas, uh, as they call them, advanced antenna systems, have matured now to the point where you can actually use this in the 2.3 gigahertz band, which means you're going to have a whole vendor ecosystem uh, develop around there and uh, so uh, one of the things that they uh, decided to do was have a really close look at some of the technical uh, specifications particularly around unwanted emission limits in-band emission limits and uh, so on it all gets quite uh, techy but essentially the Australian limits as it currently stands are more stringent than the international standards and so uh, the liaison group is actually pushing for those to be uh, moved to in line. Now there is a couple of uh, incumbents sitting in uh, that spectrum as well. Uh, you've got uh, television outside broadcast services uh, uh, play around uh, more towards the uh, 2300 megahertz band and uh, also uh, there's some uh, uh, space uh, usage as well but uh, as uh, ACMA has pointed out that uh, the existing rules which is first in time coordination will cover pretty much all of the potential conflicts and they were uh, quite keen to stress in, in opening this consultation that the uh, existing spectrum licensees do support uh, the proposed changes. So that means if there is a conflict, then uh, it's sort of the first one in there will be able to uh, talk about any interference and the second coming in will have to make sure that they're not interfering uh, with the uh, licensee on that side. Okay, that's interesting. Um, it's an interesting new approach there from uh, ACMA. Some, some of the spectrum users, such as the... TV outside broadcast people, the WISPs, the satellite users and community radio probably do have some cause to complain that they've been treated like second-class citizens uh, in the past few years. Anyway, on that note, um, it's, it's our last podcast of the year, Simon. So I, I wanted to thank you for your immense contributions over the last 16 weeks. And, uh, and, and hopefully uh, we'll do it all again next year, bigger, brighter and bushier. Absolutely. It's been an absolute, if you look at the year and uh, the key takeaway for me has been how resilient the telco sector has been in dealing with the whole COVID pandemic and uh, getting through that. And it's really made everybody refocus just how essential uh, this sector is. So looking forward to what happens next year. it for Commerce Day Live for 2020. What a year it's been. Uh, I'd like to thank everyone who participated in this podcast over its first four months, including um, Paul Fletcher, the Minister, Andy Penn, Vicky Brady, Stephen Rue, Kelly Bayer-Rosmarin, Kevin Russell, and many more. Thank you for participating. Uh, thanks also to the sponsors who made it all possible. And most importantly, I want to thank you, 
our listeners, for devoting the time to listen to us. I hope you all enjoyed it. We look forward to being with you again in the new year. But in the meantime, all of us at Comms Day wish you the very best of festive seasons. We hope you get a great break and some quality time with loved ones. Take it away, Mr. Armstrong. Is that you, Santa Claus? Gifts I'm preparing for some Christmas sharing, but I pause because hang in my stocking, I can hear knocking. Is that you, Santa Claus? Sure is dark out, ain't the slightest spark out on my clacking jaw. Who's there? Who is it? Uh, stopping for a visit? Is that you, Santa Claus? Are you bringing a prison for me? Something pleasantly pleasant for me. That is just what I've been waiting for. Would you mind slipping it under the dough? Old winds are howling. Or could that be growling? My legs feel like straw. Yeah, my, my, oh me, my. Kindly will you reply? Is that you, Santa Claus? Yes, hang in the stocking, I can hear a knocking. Is that you, Santa Claus? <laughs> 